morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Now, sometimes I wish I just kind of left my mic on just from the start. I mean, none of y'all would know because you only hear me when my mic's on. But I'm, I'm, I start the show singing the whoa, you know, of, of Wave and Flag. Now it doesn't sound that bad because I tend to think I have a little bit of a better voice than that. But uh, I just love this song. Love, love, love this song. And when I chose it as my opener, I, I knew I hit it right away. I was like, ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. But here we are, guys, on Bite Size, right here on the Nachum Seal Network. You'll be hearing from me for the next two hours. And and I, I have to ask the question. I have to throw it out there. Are, are y'all getting bored of me? Are y'all sick of my voice yet? Because I know if I spoke to my parents for a span of nine hours over a week's worth of time, they'd probably be sick of me. A week ago at this time, I did two hours of Bite Size. The following day on Thursday, I did two hours of a Thursday live lunch. Yesterday... I did three hours of Jam and AM, and today I got another two hours. So that's nine hours over the last, let's quickly do some math, seven times 24, 140, 168 hours. I think that's right. Otherwise, I might look pretty bad. But uh, nine of the last 168 hours, if you're tuned into this network 24-7, then you'll have heard my voice. I hope you're not sick of it. My roommates aren't sick of it when they hear me nine hours because they hear me plenty more than that. I also could totally be lying. They might be sick of me. I don't even know. But I, I hope you're not because, uh, especially with this week's episode, I got a lot of talking to do. And over the last two, what was it? I think last week, my opener about, I want to say Team Israel, spoke a bit. I know Thursday Live Lunch was a lot about March Madness, and, and I have what to follow up with on that, for better or for worse. But let me tell you what you could expect from non-Yoni Voices I mean, that's kind of not true, but from non-Yoni voices over the next two hours. At 9.30, I will be talking to Zach Rabb. So, I mean, you'll still be hearing me, but probably a lot more of Zach. Zach is the unofficial, official, unofficial Team Israel superfan. So if you know, if you've heard of Mench on a Bench, you've probably heard of Zach Rabb. Now, Mench on a Bench is the Team Israel unofficial, official, unofficial mascot for Team Israel. But Zach Rabb is the unofficial, official, unofficial Super fan. You know, every a lot of teams, not every team, a lot of teams have these super fans. If uh, I'm just trying to think of my hometown, so the Houston Rockets, they have what's called a section called the Red Rowdies. That's where all the super fans for the Rockets, and they're constantly yelling and screaming throughout the entire game. You know, the L.A. Clippers had, uh, what was it, Clipper Daryl, I think, super fan. Fireman, Fireman Ed, right? That's the that's a Jets super fan. So that's what Zach Rabb is for Team Israel. So you'll want to hear that interview at about 9.30 or so. We'll get started. If we wrap up, now I could go probably on for an hour with him because I'm going to talk to him probably from all the way 2012 where he was uh, there with Team Israel for their uh, qualifying games in 2012 in Florida all the way to his time in Tokyo. So, I mean, I have plenty of material to talk to him about. But assuming we're done before 10 o'clock, probably play a song or two or three, whatever it is, then we'll hear from Tova Kanech at 10 o'clock. She interviews... uh, She's an interview with with uh, with Gears, and 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 I'll talk more about that a bit later. But that's another fantastic interview you should be looking out for. But again, for the next two hours, we got music. We have plenty of me, 
And what I mean by plenty of me is I have to talk about March Madness. A little follow-up from Thursday Live Lunch, and I know uh, Thursday Live Lunch is usually a music time with, with some banter between Nachum and Miriam. They asked me to host it, and they couldn't make it. I said, listen, at that time, Thursday Live Lunch, the show's from 11 to 1 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And, and Thursday Live Lunch brackets start at approximately 12.15. So I said, what? what? I said, why not? Let me let me get the listeners involved. I'm sure some of them know March Madness. I'm sure some of them want to hear. A, a li- I mean, I don't know if they want to hear, but I'm sure they wouldn't be opposed to hearing a little bit about March Madness. So I said, I was making three brackets. I wanted to make one bracket, everything that I thought was going to happen. I wanted to make another bracket where it was kind of like a mixture of kind of like crazy and a kind of uh, kind of crazy and kind of just kind of crazy and kind of just safe and then i wanted like a really crazy bracket and that really crazy bracket was going to be filled out with the nachum siegel network family now unfortunately the bad news is that the nachum siegel network family didn't fare as 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 well as i expected and in that i mean i don't even know if we officially picked a winner as a as a network as a family um I kind of mixed up my brackets, but I think my crazy, crazy bracket was the one. I think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe the crazy, crazy bracket. My safe bracket had Duke and Duke. When I don't pick Duke, they do well. When I do pick Duke, they don't do well. So uh, I should have told everyone I was picking Duke. I think I did. So that should have been a sign for you not to pick Duke. Maryland, as I uh, expressed to several of my friends, some of whom. Go to Maryland. I said, I will never pick Maryland again in the tournament. They constantly, they constantly mess with me over. As long as Mark Turgeon is a coach there, I will not pick Maryland. Um, so Duke, even in my safe bracket, I had them winning. In my not in my middle bracket, I had them going to the championship. So I had UNC there. And in my crazy bracket, which was with the help of the Nahum Seal Network family, I had Villanova winning it all. And Villanova did not make it out of this weekend. So my two remarks were were really about Duke and about Maryland, how I just can't trust them ever again. But uh, what else I wanted to talk about the Nahum's, excuse me, what else that I wanted to talk about March Madness is that the officiating. I mean, how frustrating was it to watch some games come down to the wire and then an official decides maybe indirectly, decides to put the game in his hands, calls a foul, goaltending, or doesn't call goaltending in the Northwestern case. I mean, sheesh. Let the players play. Let the teams, let the players decide the fate, not the officials. And I don't think, you know, I see some people saying the officials just, you know, it's a ref show, the ump show, where the official wants to put himself in the game. I don't think that's the case. I think they're legitimately, the way they see it, is the way they're calling it, but swallow the whistle sometimes. Uh, what are you looking at sometimes? I mean, that goaltending was as clear as light. And how about the game before that? I mean, you feel bad. Northwestern Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt team goes up one, and they foul because the player, I forgot his name, and maybe it's better I don't mention it, for, didn't realize that his team was up by one. They foul. Northwestern hits two shots, and they go on to win. <sighs> what a weekend. I mean, I was watching... A lot of basketball. I love this weekend. I love March Madness the first weekend, the second weekend. It's just a lot of fun basketball, close 
games, down to the wire games, upset city. So much fun. Alas, I don't think I'm alive in any of my brackets, but hey, I watch the sport because I think it's fun. I hope you think this is fun. We'll have plenty of music coming up, I promise you. Plenty of interviews coming up, I promise you. Four to the door this week. Last week, Jamie and I were snowed out. So uh, we did not do a four to the door. And this week, we I mean, I, I know it's Perm's already two weeks ago, and we're we're almost as close to Pesach as we are Perm, but we I, I Perm, I love Perm, and I have to go over our favorite Mishloach Manotes because when you pick up, Oh, I have Jamie here telling me, no, 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 she wants to do something else. Okay, listen, maybe it's Mishloch Mano, maybe we'll do something else. I'll have to discuss it with her. So there's your tease, it'll be perm-themed, we'll figure it out. But uh, Ford of the Door comes up at about 10.50 a.m. or so, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later. But for now, we're done with March Madness. I told you what's on this show, which means you know what's next. Mahapecha, Shel Simcha. Thank you for tuning in to Bite Size right here on the Nachlan Seal Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, תשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים hey, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
לפעמים הפחד משתק אותך כמעט מבפנים ואין מילים רק להשפיל את המבט התמיד אין דרך לעבור ואין לעצור בכל מה שהיה לעולם לא יחזור בסוף כל הדרכים נשקף לו האור אז אל תשכח תמיד תזכור כל העולם הזה הוא גשת צר מיאלי אבסואש שלא נגמר אבל תזכור תמיד שהעיקר לא לפחד לא 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 לפחד
خوسخو من خوسخو من خوسکالای لامیم بومیم شر تخواب خالدای ودای من خوسخو من خوسخو من خوسکالای لامیم بومیم شر تخواب خالدای ودای من خوسخو من خوسخو من خوسکالای لامیم بومیم شر تخواب خالدای ودای من خوسخو من خوسخو من خوسکالای لامیم بومیم شر تخواب بخالدای Size here on the Nachum Seal Network, and I uh, teased it before, and now I have the pleasure of interviewing and speaking to, live via the telephone, Zach Rab. Zach is the, uh, maybe the unofficial, but but pretty much official at this point, super fan of Team Israel. Uh, Zach, welcome to Bite Size. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, you are, I believe, you, you, you currently live in Israel, correct? Correct. Okay, and you, uh, you've been following Team Israel for how long right about now? Well, uh, the World Baseball Classic uh, for Team Israel ended by now, but I had been following since 2012 in Jupiter, Florida. I was at all three of those games, having lived in Florida. I was back visiting my family, went to all of those games, got immediately hooked. So, 2012. Right, so 2012 was when Team Israel was qualifying for the 2013 World Baseball Classic, and it was a similar situation that they had this past time. 
2012, where they had to go ahead and pretty much either win three games in a row or just win the final, you know, well, however the scenarios were working out, they had to win the final game. And what happened was they, they went 2-0, and and actually the team that they beat the second game around, uh, Team Spain, I believe it was, they had to go and beat a second time, and they couldn't do it. And that's why they fell short in 2012 for 2013. Now, this time around, we came, and it was 2016 qualifier, and it was Brook- and it was in uh, it was in Brooklyn. So, did you were you planning this whole the, for the last you know I guess whenever we found out that they were going to play in Brooklyn, were you planning the whole time to be there? Well, I had been planning since 2012. I remember uh, at the Jupiter game, that last game against Spain, extra inning loss, nine to seven, was a heartbreaker. It was probably the saddest feeling I've ever. Uh, had leaving a baseball game. I didn't even want to leave the stadium, but I bought a hat. I bought a Team Israel hat at that at I think the first game uh, in 2012, and that was before anyone else basically knew that Israel had a baseball team. That was before anyone else uh, started getting these hats, and I've been wearing that hat for the past four years. Uh, every chance that I had, whether it was playing baseball here in Israel or on every plane ride that I took through any country, and I got a lot of questions saying, what is that nice hat You know, with the Israeli flag on the side? It's, it's really cool. I said, oh, yeah, that's Israel's baseball team. They, they started playing in 2012, and they'll be back in a couple of years. So I've been looking forward to – I was looking forward to this since 2012. As soon as the announcement came that the qualifiers would be in Brooklyn and they were going to be in September right before Rosh Hashanah and Kippur time, I knew I was going to go home for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur to visit my family in Florida. The tough part was making sure that my new job, uh, which I just got in end of July, would be okay with me taking three weeks off instead of two weeks off, two weeks to go home for a shiny empty board, and one week extra to go to Brooklyn. And sure enough, I warned them about it, gave them advance notice, I guess you could say, before I accepted the job, and they said sure. And I made sure I landed the, the day of the, the day of the first game, a couple hours before the first game in Brooklyn, and that was a dream come true to be able to be there. I recruited about six, seven friends to go with me to each game, sitting right above the dugout. That was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad I was able to make it to, to all those games, and my flight landed on time, and that was a whirlwind couple of days and a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sure, and uh, things work out in, in fabulous ways, I'm sure, as you know. So what were your ex- expectations coming into those three games in Brooklyn? Were you expecting them to win? I mean, you, you, you sort of knew some of the players from the 2012 team. Um, Josh Zide, one of the big-time pitchers for Team Israel, uh, was there. What were your expectations? Did you think they had any chance in this qualifier? My expectations were that they were going to win, of course. They had four years to, to digest that last loss. A couple of the guys, you know, Zide, Decker, Fryman, uh, Shlomo Lippitz, Nick Rickles. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting a couple of the guys. Charlie Cutler was on the team in the qualifying round in Brooklyn, and he was also on the team back in Jupiter in 2012. I was a little bummed out that he wasn't on the team in, uh, in Seoul and then eventually Tokyo, but you know, they, they put together a good roster. But either way, I expected them to win. I expected them to advance. They did not want to go through the heartbreak of, of what they went through four years ago. I knew that Zied and, and Decker were going to be, and then Fryman and, and the other guys were going to be leaders of the team. Uh, and they had some solid talent this time around with a great fan backing in Brooklyn. You can't get more Jewish than Brooklyn, yeah. you know, more support than that. Um, and I expected them to win, and that's why I made sure I was there and, Thankfully, they did. It was a lot of fun. Right. So Team Israel goes 3-0. and Thanks again, like you said, the great fan support in Brooklyn. Now they have to go to Korea. At what point, I mean, 
I, I don't know if you knew they were going to Korea, if they won all three games in, in Brooklyn. At what point did you say, yourself, say to yourself, you have to go to Korea? <laughs> so that's actually a funny story. Um, they won the first game in Brooklyn, and then they won the second game. And then word started going around that if they won the third game, if they won the third and final game, I remember it was against uh, Great Britain, and I was having flashbacks, just like probably some of the players were, because we had already beat Britain once and we needed to beat them again a second time in the final game to advance to the actual World Baseball Classic, which they failed in doing against Spain in 2012. So I was having a bit of flashbacks, but before the third game, we word was going around that if they advanced it, they would be, the games would be played in South Korea. I said, oh boy. <laughs> I said, first they have to advance. First they have to get over this hump of, of getting that last win against the team they had already beaten. But once they did that, um, it was it was actually a, a very long day for me, baseball-wise, um, small tidbit. It was also the day that my favorite player, Jose Fernandez, passed away in that morning right. of the third game against Great Britain. So that was probably the most emotional day, uh, baseball-wise, of my life. Probably one of the most emotional days in general, because baseball is such a big part of me. Um, so it started out with heartbreak, and then the, the feeling of victory when they won, and just relief that they didn't fall like they did in 2012 against Spain. Basically, the minute they won, I was on my phone looking up plane tickets uh, to South Korea. I didn't even know where South Korea was on a map, <laughs> honestly. Um, I had never heard of Seoul before that week. Um, now, looking back, I absolutely love the city, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I went on my phone the minute they won, and then as we were piling out of the stadium, you know, after all the fireworks and the celebrations and whatever, uh, I was saying goodbye to a bunch of the players that they were boarding the bus. At that point, it was a bit of a pipe dream. I was talking again to Charlie Cutler, who was a backup catcher in the qualifiers. And I was just chatting with him, and I showed him my phone, and I said, listen, Charlie, I might actually go to South Korea. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to look into it, and we'll see what can happen. I'm sorry I didn't get to see him in South Korea, but at that point, it was already the wheels were turning in my head, and I don't know how it managed to end up happening, but it did. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely amazing how you're able to pull that off. And I know you mentioned you have to thank, obviously, your employers because uh, not every not every 20-year-old, you know, someone just starting in their professions, their bosses are not necessarily going to let them just travel the world, if you will, for, for a few baseball games. So uh, it's crazy that you're able to pull that off. But before the, uh, Team Israel even got to South Korea, the – I want to say five to ten members of the team or so, they all traveled to Israel. Did you take part in any of those festivities or whatever you know took place in Israel? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely did. Just to go back on your point one second, uh, and my employer was so nice to me, um, letting me, letting me take off those days. Uh, I, I gave them advance notice. They were, they were kind enough to do it. They realized I was following my dream, you know, uh, especially going to Brooklyn and then this, this crazy trip to South Korea and then <laughs> somehow eventually letting me extend my trip to Tokyo, they realized I was following a dream, and they also realized that I would have come back depressed if they wouldn't have let me go on to Tokyo. So they made a smart move, and I really appreciated it. And uh, I gave them a shout-out in a newspaper article that was written about me, so that eased the pain of coming back after two weeks. <laughs> now, in terms of your second question, um, when, the, when the players were here in Israel, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I was very distracted uh, at, at work. I was just so excited that the, a couple of the players, you know, uh, Zayd, Lavarnaway, Ty Kelly, Sam Fold, Corey Baker, Bleich, um, even John Moscott, pitcher who was rehabbing for the Reds, uh, who already committed to play in 2021, Gabe Kapler, 
uh, and Cody Decker, I don't know if I mentioned him already. A bunch of guys, Ike Davis came. It was just I couldn't believe that they came to Israel, and they were having so much fun uh, touring the country. I followed their every move, you know, not, not in a weird way. Just I was just having so much fun, getting so much enjoyment of watching them enjoy seeing the land for the first time. Um, it made me realize that I got to go out and, and, you know, see different places in the country that, you know, once you get settled in a, a working life, uh, you don't get to tour as much. And I just realized that there's so much out here still for me to go check up on every couple, you know, whenever I have a chance. Uh, it was just so much fun watching them get the joy of eating rugelach for the first time uh, in, in the open market in Jerusalem, Machalehuda, and just going to the hotel and spending a, a weekend, spending Shabbat there and climbing Masada. It was just so much fun tracking that. And when they saw the, the couple of the two public events that they had, one at uh, Baptist Village, which is a field in Petah Tikva here, that I played baseball for a little while. I played softball there. Um, that meet and greet session with a bunch of the kids and some adults, and they took batting practice. That was so cool, you know, on the fields that I play on. A bunch of guys, nice, down-to-earth, you know, Jewish ball players coming here, uh, playing on the fields that I play on now. And that was, that was really cool, you know, especially for the little kids who, for some of them, Israelis, even some uh, young Americans who have made Aliyah here, that was probably the first time seeing up close and personal some uh, ball players. So that was extremely cool for them. And the groundbreaking of the field in Bichemis the next morning, I was, I made sure I wasn't going to miss any of these events. They were right here in my backyard. So uh, I was going to go, and it was a lot of fun. It was a, a fun week and a fun weekend. And I know all the players from talking to them had a blast coming to visit. Yeah, I know. I can echo those those thoughts and feelings of just following these players that you've you've you know followed their careers to begin with, and then and then they're in you know your land, they're in Israel, and you're just watching them do things that you've either had the opportunity to do or that you want to do. It's really just such a cool thing. We had Josh Zaid on our program uh, like two months or so right after the trip, and I mean he was saying the same thing: how incredible the land was, on, you know, from the players' perspective. And then he uh, he shared that he loved the fan support as well, which I'm sure you were a big part of as well. You mentioned uh, touring, you know, when you when you say you, you don't have so much time to tour when you get older. I'm curious, when you were in Korea and eventually when you were in Tokyo, did you get any chance other than the baseball games to go out and explore the city? Oh, absolutely. I made sure to make the most of my time. I barely got any sleep. Uh, you know, I figured sleep can wait till I get back, uh, get back to Israel. In Korea, uh, we had – Korea, actually, I prepared quite – quite far in advance. Once I knew I was going and once I somehow pulled the trigger and booked my ticket, uh, thanks to the convincing of my mom and my grandmother and some other avid traveler friends who said, this is going to be the experience of a lifetime. You don't want to miss this. So once I booked my ticket, ironically enough, where I work in, in Herzliya, uh, two buildings down, you'll never believe this, two buildings down from where I work in Herzliya is the South Korean embassy, <laughs> literally two buildings down from where I work. So as soon as I saw that, that was I noticed that actually a couple of days before I booked my ticket. Uh, at that point, I called my mom and I said, okay, that was a sign. I'm going to book my ticket tonight, and I'm going to go to South Korea. And they prepared a package. They were nice enough to prepare a package full of tour guides and maps and uh, outdated stuff, but still with good information uh, that they handed me for free. And I read up every Shabbat and every chance downtime that I had after work, either studying the language a little bit, um, reading about all of these interesting tourist destinations, basically mapping out, because there was one free day in between the games. It was one off day. Right. And there were even a couple of nights, you know, and, and some mornings 
to travel, but there was one full day and I had a list of places to go and I, and I hit up every single place. And the difference with Tokyo <laughs> is that I had about a day and a half, two days notice. One of those days was Shabbat. Very short notice that I was going to be going to Tokyo. I had no tour guides, no maps. I didn't know the subway routes at all. I obviously didn't know any Japanese. Not that I knew much Korean, but I knew basics. Um, I had no time to prepare for Japan, but we had more free time, actually. I mean, more time. Because two of the games in Japan were night games, local time, and there was a day off, I basically had almost three full days to go touring in Japan as opposed to maybe a day and a half in Korea. So I did the most of Japan, too. I planned things on the go, and I got to see some incredible places uh, that, I mean, they're on the other side of the world. I never thought I would see that. So, I mean, between baseball, between the touring of these countries, you know, they speak in character form, their language, and meeting some new nice friends there. These are two countries that I would highly recommend. I loved loved Seoul. I loved Korea. It was really nice, Uh, probably also because I prepared in advance for it. But if anyone ever has a chance and the money, it's not that cheap to go to that side of the world. I would totally recommend it for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I I know since since I've been working here and we've we've traveled to Paris and Venice, I've got that traveler's bug. So I definitely uh, feel you on that. I know you you went to Jupiter, you went to Brooklyn, you went to Korea, and you went to to Tokyo. So you went to all four places Team Israel's played in the last four you know five years or so. Did you notice any other fans that were on the same route as you? You know, traveling with you, or you know, you make any friends over the course of those four years, or even the last month? With Team Israel? Well, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I'm somehow 12 for 12 uh, in Team Israel games, plus 2 for 2 in uh, public events, if you count the two times they were in Israel. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how I've managed to do that, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. Uh, I didn't really remember anyone. I was a bit younger. you know, I was only 20 years old uh, back in Jupiter. Uh, I I didn't really remember anyone from there. The players uh, didn't remember me as much. Uh, but when they came to Israel, for example, uh, to visit, uh, and then when they, we were in Seoul and Tokyo, they all knew me by then, you know, as the crazy loud fan from above the Brooklyn dugout with the sign mm-hmm. uh, and the flag and going nuts and the loud guy above the dugout. Um, but there were there was a father and son that, that flew from Israel uh, to Seoul. That was nice to see. And um, Jordi Alter, who's the who's the equipment manager, assistant equipment manager of Team Israel this time around. His whole family came, so I, I got to meet his sons and spend some time with them. Um, and I met a lot of the players' families. They were some of them were extremely nice to me. Some I met in Korea. Some I met uh, only once we got to Japan. You know, some families left after Korea because they couldn't take off so much time. I met uh, Corey Baker's girlfriend. I met uh, Jake Kalish's family. Obviously, I met. Uh, Cody Decker's fiance, Jen Sturger, and, and his mother, um, Nick Rickles' family, Alex Katz's family. Um, so so many people, I, I can't even remember all of them. Uh, Troy Nyman, I, I met his father, his grandfather, who was so nice, and they are just so friendly at the game. And a couple other people's uh, families and fiancés, girlfriends, uh, you know, parents. Uh, they were they were also nice. So I made I made some friends, and you know, became friendly with the players too after after a certain while. Um, they, they were all just extremely um, happy that I was there to support them and impressed also that I managed to go all the way there and giving up work. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a cheap trip. It was pretty expensive, actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they, they were very kind to me, uh, some some more than others, but 
none were none were not kind. You know, there were some that stood out: Corey Baker, Alex Katz, Jeremy Jeremy Bleich, um, Nick Rickles, and Zide for sure. They were all just so nice. Jake Kalish. Yeah, yeah made, made a lot of uh, cool friendships and some nice relationships along the way. We're talking to Zach Rab, the uh, official, unofficial Team Israel superfan from the World Baseball Classic. Now, Zach, this sounds like an excellent experience, uh, but what I want to know is 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 it a, a different type of experience. How was Purim in, I believe it was Japan for you? Uh, Purim actually started for me in Korea. Okay. Um, first, interestingly enough, uh, the fast day of Tani Dester, uh, was on Thursday, the day uh, against the Netherlands uh, game in Seoul. Uh, and I fasted that whole day uh, at the game. The game was at noon, and I was fasting. I was, I was a bit nervous of how that was going to go because I didn't have a voice and I couldn't drink water. And turns out the fast passed by extremely quickly, and all the family members... Oh, I forgot to mention uh, the Birchin family, Scotty, the shortstop. I was sitting next to his mother and sister at all three uh, of the Korea games. They were extremely nice and friendly and good luck, and they were just amazed that I was sitting there fasting and yelling my brains out and not drinking any water, and they couldn't believe it, but somehow I managed. And then Purim, I spent... uh, It was uh, Saturday night. I spent it at the Chabad in Korea, uh, which was interesting. He, he read it extremely quickly, and I loved it. And then somehow flew to Japan on Perm and continued it there and continued it with a win over Cuba, which was a cool cool experience. Yeah, I didn't think I would ever spend Perm in Seoul and Tokyo. But it the first time for everything, I guess. Yeah, uh, crazy, absolutely crazy. Speaking of crazy, uh, Team Israel, so so they go to Korea and they, they win. They go 3-0. and uh, I mean, most people didn't expect it. I don't want to put you on the spot and, and ask you if you expected it or not. And then they go to Tokyo, win their first game, lose their last two. It ends their their run in the World Baseball Classic. But uh, can you tell me like like a little bit about like how you were feeling? Were you surprised that they won? Like what was the overall feeling from you and from the fans there? Me, I was I was never surprised they won. I had belief that they could win every game. Uh, I even had belief that they could win against Japan in that last game, which unfortunately they didn't. But I had faith in the players. I knew the players had confidence from talking to them a little bit. Um, I, I, I had faith that we could win every game and we could stack up, you know, pitching wise and hitting wise and fielding wise and coaching wise. We had more experience on our coaching staff than, than most, uh, teams did. Um, and the team gelled together, the chemistry, the camaraderie was, was extremely awesome and fun to watch. I never had any doubt that they would win. Um, the fact that they swept the first round was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Um, I, I had, I, Knew it could happen, but the fact when it did and when it was all final and said and done, it was pretty cool to look back on. And then when we beat Cuba, that was everyone was shocked. I said, "Listen, we we can stack up against any team," uh, and and we did just that. And unfortunately, we hit a wall when it came to the Netherlands and uh, eventually Japan. But it was a fun ride, and and I know the the players worked, worked extremely hard to get all those victories and to gain the momentum that we did and. You know what? Hopefully, it'll continue uh, in four years from now. Yeah, you mentioned uh, earlier in the interview that you you had some some good conversations with either some players, some families of the players. Uh, was there any one player, one coach, one staff member that made the strongest impression on you when you were talking to him or her or them? Um, I can give you a, a couple. I'll give, I'll give you, I would say, three or four. Number one is Corey Baker. You know, our starting pitcher. He was our starting pitcher for game two of both rounds. Uh, and and in Brooklyn, uh, he's a Cardinals minor leaguer. He's extremely kind to me, and I was talking to his girlfriend on the bus, and she was saying how 
she's a fan of me, the fact that I flew out all the way there. And I was flattered when, when she told me that. And uh, just the fact that he, he really appreciated that I flew all the way there. And he told me afterwards, that, you know, that's what makes the game more fun for them is seeing people like me get a ton of enjoyment and loving every moment, living on the edge of my seat with every pitch. So he was extremely kind. He gave me his uh, pullover warm-up jacket uh, prior to the Japan game, which was extremely kind of him. I've gotten quite a few souvenirs <laughs> over the course of my years of being a baseball fan, but that was extremely cool. Um, also, Alex Katz was, was really nice, always helpful whenever I needed anything. If I, I needed a video for people back home in Israel, he was happy to help. Um, and he's also a downstairs uh, kid with a, with a lot of potential. Even actually Alex Jacobs, who was the head scout for the team, I'd never met a major league scout in my life. And he was extremely kind, making sure I was set up with flights, with a place to stay, with enough food. Uh, he was always checking on me, and no responsibility to do that. Uh, you know, I'm curious what his scouting report would say as uh, ranking me as a fan. But he was very nice, Alex Jacobs. And also one other person who people may not know was there, Jonathan Mayo, who works for MLB.com and was leading the documentary that they were putting together, uh, was very helpful and friendly. And also, if I needed anything throughout the trip, which, again, none of these people had to do, but they were all extremely kind to me. And I was just a fan, and they were I made some really cool relationships and, and friendships that um, I never thought I would make, and they're just really all nice guys. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There were so many other people that I could name. But oh, I'm, I'm sure. It sounded like a... Uh... Multiple trips of a lifetime for you and, and a wonderful experience. I have to ask you, 2021, are you going to be following Team Israel? I'm surprised you even have to ask me that question. I already have vacation days set aside. <laughs> you know, I, condition number one is, you know, um, wherever I'm going to be, whatever job I'm going to have, hopefully, or whatever situation in life I'm going to be in in four years from now, condition number one is that we're taking a vacation March 2021 to somewhere in the world, hopefully another cool place. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see where that goes. If all is well in four years, hopefully. Yeah. Zach Rabb, the unofficial official Team Israel superfan. Zach, thank you for your time. My pleasure. I hope this helps grow the sport of baseball in Israel. And the ride ended right now, but hopefully it'll continue in four years from now. And um, donate wherever you can. You know, fields are trying to be built in Israel now. And um, I, ho- I hope I hope this uh, leads great momentum to, to growing the sport in Israel. And, uh, have, have baseball here for everyone. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Plenty more coming up. You're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network.
And that was Lev Tahor's Asher Bara, a little shout-out to my friends, both of whom, my friends, Rebecca Gordon and Jeremy Sykes, will be married in Chicago this coming Sunday. I will be there, flying in Sunday morning, leaving Sunday night. Uh, I had to do that because my brother and his wife are actually expecting a child sometime in the next week or so. Mir Tashem. So, uh, didn't want to risk being out of town. You know, I was going to fly in for Shabbos, possibly. I said, you know what, better to be in New York as long as possible since they live in New York. So an in-and-out wedding in Chicago. I am sure it'll be a crazy wedding. I'm excited. I know all of your friends, all of our friends, all of my friends are excited. So uh, looking forward to that. And here we are on Bite Size on the Nachum Seal Network. And uh, I, I don't want to talk, you know, I, I want to let Tova. This is a fantastic interview she does with Nachum, and I, I, and I hope I'm pr- pronouncing this correctly, Nachum Wazowski of Gears. Uh, so without further ado, I'm gonna I'm just gonna shoot it over to here. It's, I'm just gonna shoot it. Up. So without further ado, I'm just gonna shoot it over to her. Here's Tova with Nachum of Gears. Your tunes in the bite size right here on the Nachum Single Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting here in Ramavi Chemesh Aleph with Nachum Wazowski of Gears. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So we're going to talk all about what Gears is, and uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, can you give us a little bit of background who you are? Your Aliyah story, anything interesting you want to tell us? <laughs> okay, so we are, my name is Nachum Wasaski. We're in our ninth year of Aliyah. We made Aliyah from Denver, Colorado. Ah. Uh, my wife, five kids, my mother, my wife's parents. Um, you all came together? We all came together, there were 10 of us, my wife's brother as well. And um, since then, we were able to bring another few siblings. Um, so there's 30 of us now in Israel between Ramat Beit Shemesh and Ranana. Wow. And, um, we're living the dream. We're loving it. What made you want to come over from Colorado? Um, we, my my wife and myself were very much involved in B'nai Akiva growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, went to B'nai Akiva camps, went to B'nai Akiva youth groups during the week. And, um, Israel was always something that was on our minds from a young age. Um, and uh, at a certain point, we just said we have to go now or never. Wow. Uh, I, I was involved in Asha Torah. Okay. I learned in Asha Torah for six years mm-hmm. here in the old city um, as part of like a shlichut to give back to Asha Torah. went to Denver, Colorado mm-hmm. for two years to go work. Um, in Aish, Denver, which was Jewish outreach. What right? was it like going back to America after living in Israel? Um, it was it was different. Um, yeah. You know, we were in Jerusalem. We weren't in Tel Aviv. We were in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, my mother remembers me uh, when I came back to visit. She remembers me saying, "Wow, all the billboards here, everybody's naked." <laughs> right. So it, you know, it, it was going from Jerusalem to yeah. America is 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 uh, you know a big shocker after after six years. Yeah. Um, but, um, we opened up a teen center out Mm -hmm. Jewish outreach for teens, public school teens in Colorado. Uh And the two years turned into six. Wow. My wife opened up a Hebrew school, outreach Hebrew school. Um, so between the Hebrew school for outreach and my, my citywide teen center for outreach, we ended up, uh, 
um, becoming endeared to the community and um, we built up a lot of great friendships there and we stayed there for six years. Our oldest daughter was eight mm -hmm. and we said we either have to go now or never. Okay. And, you know, we could have seen ourselves living there forever. Right. And um, we had made a decision years earlier that we wanted to live in Israel. We wanted to raise our children in Israel. So you had a plan. And um, we said we have to go now or never and we left. So before you moved back to Israel, you uh, you were definitely athletic, right? You. Yes. So before we moved, I was uh, several times a week during lunch hour. I was playing basketball. Uh, four months out of the winter, I was up in Vail snowboarding uh, every single week. Yeah. Um, and I had uh, I had a couple injuries on my knees and could not any longer do any impact sports. Um, and a close friend of mine and a supporter of the teen center actually uh, bought me a mountain bike and said, you got to get out into the hills and start riding. And um, I brought my mountain bike with us when we made Aliyah. As part of the lift. As part of the lift. And um, they did not charge me extra tax on the bike. And um, I started literally riding from day one when I got here um, four or five times a week. Wow. So you decided to move to Israel and reinvent yourself uh, on a mountain bike. Correct. And the the snowboards actually were brought with us. My wife taught me how to snowboard. Do you go to the Harmon? Well, we have never been there. Um, I mean, for, for snowboarding purposes. Okay. We're a little bit spoiled from the, the Vail Mountains. Yeah. Our snowboards are currently hung in our bedroom. Okay. So we get to look at them every night we go to sleep. <laughs> um, but uh, mountain biking became my new uh, my new sport. Your passion, yeah. And um, because I was in the youth, uh, the world of, of informal youth education, when I came to Israel, um, you know, that's the big issue is how are you going to support yourself when you come to Israel? Right. Um, I had a friend who was involved in a youth center here in Ramat Chemish, mm -hmm. called up the youth center. I said, don't pay me. I'll come help build your program. Wow. Um, so I just got my foot in the door. And I turned to a lot of my supporters from Colorado and from different places in America who were supporting my youth center efforts there. And they continued to support my youth efforts here. And I started working with kids at risk in, the, in a teen center here in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Uh -huh. um, so I continued the same, path. the same path. And one day realized that the youth center world is amazing. Getting kids off the streets, helping them, yeah. giving them some direction. It's very reactive work. I wanted more of a proactive approach. Mm -hmm. And I offered to take those kids one day after working with the youth center for three years, I offered to take them mountain biking. Wow. And the, about eight kids told me they wanted to get up early Friday morning. Fantastic. And they wanted to come on a mountain bike ride. So my friends got their bikes together. They oh. donated their bikes for the day. Nice. Um, Adam Rosenberg from Holy Bagel here gave us bagels and cream cheese. My wife made eggs and coffee and we went out for an hour and a half ride with these eight boys. Yeah. Came back and had a big feast. And that's where the vision of gears came from? That's where the vision of gears came from. Okay, so Nachum, how did uh, you go from the youth center to starting this program? Okay, so I, I again, want to be more proactive with the youth mm -hmm. and I kind of wanted to do something for myself, even though I was kind of working by myself in these other organizations. I wanted to build something for myself with my own vision. Um, when I took those boys on that first ride, um, 
I had realized something a little bit magical because these kids, instead of partying all Thursday night, mm -hmm. they cut back to go do something extreme. So I realized immediately that they gave up hanging out till three, four in the morning, drinking and smoking mm -hmm. to go do an extreme activity. It was exciting for them. It was exciting enough for them that they were not going to go party. Right. So that already was something very telling. And the first ride, two things happen. The, the stud of the group, the coolest guy of the group. <laughs> yeah. When he got to the top of the hill, walking and huffing and puffing, literally took his cigarettes out of his pocket and ripped up his pack of cigarettes in front of everybody. Wow. So that was pretty moving to me because nobody told him to do anything. It was, you know, that by himself. He, he was frustrated. It. He internalized, you know, how out of shape he was, how much he wanted to be in shape, how there's something that he thought was so easy that he couldn't do. Attributed to the smoking and said, I'm done. Um, another kid, I just asked, you know, how's it going? How you doing? Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden he started opening up and telling me about how difficult school was, how difficult things at home were, you know, was for him. And, you know, in all the years in the youth center, mm -hmm. I was six years in Denver. I was four years here in Ramat Beit Shemesh. It is so difficult to have kids open up to you and talk so you can really help. Right. And here, something magical about being out in nature without your cell phone, yeah. Um, without the Xboxes, without the distractions and the food and waiting for pizza and hamburgers or whatever it was, um, there was something magical about being out in nature, you know, doing this extreme activity. Wow. Um, so soon after that, you know, the kids were asking me every week, let's ride, let's ride, let's ride. And they were giving up their Thursday night partying to ride. Uh, my friends started donating bikes to me. And I literally had nice like a friends. <laughs> nice friends had, had like a small parking lot in my backyard. Yeah. Um, we had, I don't know, eight or 10 bikes mm -hmm. and these kids were showing up every single week and we were riding for a few months. Summertime came, it got too hot to ride. We took a break. I needed a break. It wasn't something I was planning on doing. Yeah. Um, I was still working full time for, for the youth center and, um, the parents called me and they said, why no more riding? And I said, we're taking a break. It's hot. Like, you know, we've been doing this for a few months. It's, you know, I need my Fridays back, you know, my family, my wife. And, yeah. um, you know, that's the one thing you give up from America, right? Is, is uh, your Sunday. Is your Sunday. So mm -hmm. they said, we'll pay you. Uh, this is transforming my kid's life. My kid doesn't, doesn't wake up. They never wake up, but they're waking up for you. They're waking up to go riding. Right. And the kids are, it's a stress relief. They, we, they are literally changing before our eyes and we're attributing it to what you're doing with them every week we will pay you please take them out every week wow so i started uh you know i arranged contracts and started taking these kids out we had a group of eight kids yeah and every friday at one o'clock after school started taking them out wow so and gears was born and gears was born so now let's uh, fast forward to gears now yes. how many cities are you in now so, um, at a certain point I went head to head with my, in, in a good way with my previous, uh, employer, um, from the youth center mm -hmm. and we had to make a decision. You know, I need to work a hundred percent on, on one thing, not 50% on both. Right. Um, so I left the organization. I started my own nonprofit called gears. Um, and we are currently in five cities here uh -huh. in Israel. We have 30 staff. That means 30 instructors. Mm -hmm. Uh, 150 riders every single week. What are the ages of the riders? Uh, the ages, they start at age seven. 
which is around second grade, and they go up through teens. So it's from age seven and up. And they're all within their own groups, though. They're They're all within their own groups. There are the idea is um, we're we're operating five days a week. Okay. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, We have three girls groups. Um, the cities that we're in are Beit Shemesh, Ranana, Modi'in, Hashmonaim, and Gush. Nice. Um, the girls' groups are in Beit Shemesh, in the Gush, and in Modi'in. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to open up these two girls' groups this year and to open up cities with girls' groups because girls always get the short end of the stick. And I wanted for once, you know, for the, for the parents of the boys to call and say, hey, what about us? Right. Because it's always the opposite. Right. Um, so we opened up these two groups this year for girls and, um, and is it only English or you have Hebrew also? We have Hebrew, uh, we have Hebrew speaking groups, we have English speaking groups. Um, the, each group is 90 minutes. Each group has at least two instructors and they're small groups on average of 10 riders. Okay. okay so the instructor to rider ratio is small. Um, and that's primarily because gears is an educational program. Okay, right. first and foremost. So we teach critical life skills through mountain biking. Yeah. That's the idea of gears. You're empowering the kids. We're empowering the kids, giving them life skills through the mountain biking. We have a curriculum. We have five years of curriculum, which means we have 150 classes that we teach the kids throughout the year. Wow. Um, all through mountain biking. All through mountain biking. So how do you, what do you attribute to mountain biking that is helping these kids? Okay, so uh, just to give you an idea. Um, one of my instructors says the way he puts it is as you're going down a steep hill and there's rocks Mm -hmm. and boulders and there are um you know pieces of the ground that have been removed like trenches from the water from the rainy season Mm -hmm. you very quickly have a whole menu in your mind of what you need to do over the next 10 seconds in order to survive down going down the hill yeah And he says that he takes that picture, gets through it, and then later on in the week, he applies that to his life. He's thinking ahead, right? So it forces you, the navigation forces you to take what you've learned on the bike Mm -hmm. and to apply it to life. Um, For example, one of the classes we have is perseverance. So the instructor tells the kids, we're going to go up the steep hill today. None of you are going to make it up the hill. It's too challenging and no one's ever made it up the hill in the first time. But after three or four weeks, every single one of you is going to make it up the hill. And then the instructor speaks out that lesson that week of perseverance Uh and teaches them that this is life. You're going to have very difficult things in your life that are going to seem impossible. And you're not going to be able to do it. And after you stick with it three, four, five times, you're going to overcome it. You're going to succeed. And that's going to be the rest of your life, whether it's with work, whether it's with family, whether it's with friends, whether it's with Aliyah, whatever yeah. it may be, you're going to have any obstacle they're obstacles facing. you're facing. That's one of 150 classes, for an example. Wow. So where do you actually take them to ride? So you're actually riding in the mountains. Yes, I'm terrified of, of concrete and cars. <laughs> um, the second I'm on the road, I, my anxiety level goes from zero to ten. Wow. Um, so plus being out there and like I said before, being out in nature is something that's magical. Seeing the land of Israel. Right. How do you connect this? Right. I was going to ask you, um, it's not just about riding. You're also connecting to the land. Like we live in Israel. That's right. So how do you connect to, uh, Israel? So 
Um, we do a few things when we're on the ride. Number one, like I said, is you're learning a life skill and a life lesson through the bike. Mm -hmm. There's also mechanical things. The kids learn how to fix a flat tire. The kids learn how to change a, a, you know, a broken chain, how to fix a broken chain. Um, the kids also learn about God's land and the yeah. land of Israel. Yeah. It's impossible to ride here yeah. for more than 15 minutes without seeing a cistern without seeing a ruin from 1500 years ago, yeah. without seeing a wine press or an olive press, without seeing uh, this morning, we saw several hundred uh, shkadia trees, almond trees in yeah. full bloom. Beautiful. Um, by seeing the olive, you know, all the seven species. Yeah. You're seeing wherever you go, it's filled. And those are some of the lessons as well. We stop and we talk about, we bring the, the Tanakh, we bring the Bible alive while we're on the, on the rides. That's beautiful. Okay, what does it mean to be in the zone? What does that phrase mean to you? Um, in the zone could mean a few different things when you're riding. Number one is the focus. Mm -hmm. um, when you're riding, if you take your eyes off of where you're going, oh, forget it. Yeah. you're on your face. Exactly. And it's not pleasant. Um, on one hand, you've, you, know, you become a mountain biker once you fall your first time. Um, although it's not so pleasant, but it really fo forces you to focus, which is why we have no less than five pediatricians that are sending us kids because for kids that have ADD, ADHD, aside from getting the energy out, it, it forces them to focus and they learn subconsciously through riding how to focus. Oh, wow. So you're in the zone and you, again, you translate that into your regular everyday life. Um, number two is you're in the zone um, when you're out there in nature and you have been focusing for so long mm -hmm. and then the instructor stops to teach the weekly lesson uh -huh. the kids be are in a zone they pay attention it's not like being in school and they're distracted and they're not paying attention it's almost hard to get them to not pay attention yeah. when they're out there again this this magic when you're out there in nature so the kids are in the zone and literally you know, they're eating off your palm what you have to share with them. Oh, I love that. So on that note, are there any um, positive, positive, successful stories that you could share? Uh, yes. So um, let's just take one from a rider and one from a um, half of our assistant instructors mm -hmm. are, are used to be riders. So, so that already in itself is a, that in of itself because they're learning how to um, be successful here in Israel, mm -hmm. right? Make a living. Um, they I pay all of my instructors. So these kids were riders. Now they have a job in high school, right? And they're working. They're making money, and they get that feeling of working, taking responsibility, and getting paid for it. So that's special. Mm -hmm. um, one of them though uh, started with me and those and those pre those those groups that we used to take out before we we were actually gears. Um, and now he's an instructor and he started racing mountain bikes recently, like professionally racing. Wow. Um, as he has said in several interviews with us, um, for promotional purposes that he's not a social person. He's not good with people. He hates school. The only thing that got him up every day is the fact that he knew he was going to mountain bike afterwards. Wow. Um, so mountain biking changed his life and he says he is successful today as a young adult because of gears. Um, it, it enabled him to, to get up and to motivate himself every single day to, to survive. Um, it's very 
it's, it's a light social environment, meaning you're with all these other kids, but you're not forced to talk. So for kids that are socially, a little bit socially awkward, it's tremendously empowering to them because they can be around other kids and still be themselves and not, be, not have anything forced upon them. Right. And that was, this, that was this boy. You know, he, he was able to become out of his, get out of his shell he blossomed. because he yeah. wasn't forced, but he was with other kids. That's number one. Number two is there's a rider uh, right now who's in gears. He's in his third year in gears. Mm-hmm. Very difficult family situation. His father is actually in jail right now. Um, for emotional and physical abuse. Mother put him in gears. The instructor went to pick up this boy every single week. Uh-huh. This instructor became father his father figure. Um, the mother said that he's a straight-A student right now, Yeah. Um, that he is one of the most popular kids in the class right now uh, because they all know that he mountain bikes. Nobody else in it's his class very, mountain it's bikes. It's a very cool activity. It's very cool, and yeah. she says that she owes her son's... Um, you know, life right now to, to Gears. Those are very inspirational stories that uh, you just shared with us. Can you tell us also about the different demographics? Maybe there are different uh, groups that are involved in Gears. Okay, so we have clearly the, the different cities that we're in has different demographics. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the kids in, in general are supposed to pay for Gears. Okay. Um, but as you can imagine, as we're growing and becoming more popular... Um, you have a lot of the demographic that's like more on the fringe, um, whether it's socially or economically, um, we have, uh, we have groups that the kids are paying full tuition, mm-hmm. everybody, uh, cause they're coming from more affluent neighborhoods. Okay. Um, and then we have, uh, groups where the kids are, can't pay anything, um, so we do, we do take donations from people. I personally fundraise okay. for Gears. Um, I spend at least a month, if not two, in America um, fundraising for Gears uh-huh. um, during the year. Uh, we have groups that are full-blown Haredi groups. They're like closed groups, mm-hmm. and they advert, there's, that, that opened up this year. There's two separate groups, um, each with 12 riders. Uh-huh. The instructors are Haredi. The, um, they only come from you know, two or three Hadarim. Okay. Um, which is what I mean by closed groups. Um, and the idea is that Gears is so powerful that I want to bring Gears to everybody that I can. Mm-hmm. I'm right now training an Ethiopian instructor. Nice. Um, the Ethiopian community uh, wants and needs Gears, particularly from the life skills. Right. And um, to become integrated more into society here, they're having a very difficult time still. Um, and the community really wants Gears. So... Those kids, for example, they don't have money to pay for bikes or for helmets or for water backpacks or for any of the gear, right. let alone the the program fees. Um, so, so this is the point of fundraising. This is the point of fundraising. And you have a big fundraiser coming up. Correct. So at the end of March, March 27th and 28th, we're doing our first fundraiser, which is a two-day bike ride. Wow. We're going from Yam to Yam, from sea to sea. So we're starting in Nakhcholim, which is on the Mediterranean, and we are going all the way across to the Canaret. Wow. And who's involved in this? Who's involved in this ride? Okay, so the idea was to we're working with Cosmatch, and it's a matching um, uh, organization. Yeah. We it's a hundred thousand dollar campaign. Okay. Uh, we have fifty thousand dollars of sponsored money, okay. matching money. And then uh, we have riders. 
Who are the writers? The are. writers are people from the community, friends of mine, wow. uh, people who want to get involved in biking or want to get involved in gears. Any so, of the kids that are involved in gears? Like any um, of the... No, so the, there are some assistant, assistant instructors are coming to help out. Okay. Um, but they have to pay for the ride. So they're paying mm-hmm. to join this bike ride. And all of their money is matched by the by the by the matching funds that we have. Nice. And um, it's going to be there's a, there's a 30 kilometer a day route and a 60 kilometer a day route all off road. Wow. Um, so it's going to be a grueling ride. <laughs> um, entertainment at nighttime. Um, a lot of people are sponsoring the ride. Beautiful. I'll uh, definitely put up the link for uh, everybody to click to find out how they could help support if they so choose to amazing fantastic um is there anything else that you want to add okay so i would just say if you want to get involved whether it's um you want to open up a group in your city you Uh, know a gears group in your city um we want to become a tochnit artsy we want to be all over israel none in jerusalem yet none in jerusalem yet um, Jerusalem is a little bit difficult because of the terrain there right. is, is very challenging. Um, but, uh, we're open to going anywhere. Okay. Um, and that's, that's one. Number two is if you want to get involved, um, financially in gears to help invest in us and to help us grow, then you can go to gears.org, G E E R Z.org and get in touch with us that way. It's the most, uh, the easiest way to get in touch or go where we are on Facebook as well. I'll put all the links up on the, and, yeah. And uh, however you want to get involved, time, money, wisdom, we t- we, uh, we're we open for anything. If anybody is coming for vacation, are they able to just join a, if they want to join? So I do take people out. Um, we have some great trails uh, in Israel. Usually it's in Kakal forests, KKL or JNF forests. Uh-huh. And... Um, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced level rides, and people can get in touch with me. Also, those same, you know, the same links. Same they can get in touch with us. Say, hey, we're coming with our family. You know, can we do a gears ride with the family? Beautiful. We've done bar and bat mitzvahs. Fantastic. So uh, there's a lot of uh, ways for people to get involved. Yes. Uh, I don't even know if I need to ask this question because I have a feeling I know what the answer is. Um, but what is your Israel happy place? If you could think of one place that really is it riding a bike. <laughs> That's what um, I would guess it would be, but... I would say the Israel happy place um, would would be probably with out on the trails that I ride, uh-huh. but when I take my family out there on a hike. Nice. Meaning when with the whole family out yeah. on these trails um, on a hike would be the happy place. Also, we have taken the family biking out there. That may even be better. Yeah. When, we, when we're biking as a, as a family on the trails here and we're out in nature... Your uh, family's... Very into, uh, into biking also? Um, I ride with my wife every week. Every Friday, we're out on the trails together. Wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're all active and um, loving Israel, loving the experience and, and uh, loving what Israel has to offer. Wonderful. Well, tremendous Hatzlacha uh, success in uh, continuing gears and making it even more successful. So, Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for being on the show. Back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Nachum, and thank you, Tova. If you, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't know by now. Tova, Tova Kanach, Tova in Israel on Facebook, Tova in Israel.com. If you, for some strange reason, 
haven't bookmarked it, haven't liked your page on Facebook, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There's no better time than now. Really, there's no better time than every day. I'm just going to tell you there's no better time than now because next week when she's inevitably on air again, I will tell you again, no better time than now. So go ahead, like her page, check her out, tovenisrael.com. And she has so many fantastic interviews you could just check out on her page. She started since September, I believe. So maybe maybe after the game, it's possible November. So many fantastic interviews, including this one with Nachum. And we thank the two of them. More coming up on Bite Size. How about Ivri Anochi from Benny Friedman's new album, Fill the World with Light.
Oh, 
Yaakov Shweki's at Recode as you're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I promised you a Ford at the Door this week that is Purim themed. Now, I thought we were going to do a little Mishlach Manot after discussing throughout the show. Jamie Turkel, our assistant programming director who joins me on Ford at the Door to wrap up Bite Size, she was really pushing Purim costumes. I, I, I don't blame her. Now, uh, I'll tell you my, my <laughs> little. Uh, Here's, an, here's a bonus for you. My, my favorite Mishalach Manot that I received was anything chocolate. And and I like, I don't know, I got a lot of Gatorades and I appreciated it. But anyway, for Ford of the Door this week, we are going to do our favorite Purim costumes that we saw, whether it be via social media, in person, whatever it was. Our favorite, Ford of the Door is our favorite Purim costumes from 2017. 557, what is it, 5777? and 2017. So, as we always do, Jamie Turkel's list will go first, followed by mine. If you have any comments on Ford of the Door, comments in general on Bite Size, Yoni and com, or leave a comment on the NSN app. So, without further ado, Jamie Turkel, her list, Ford of the Door, top four favorite firm, Perm costumes, number four, Snapchat filters. Now, it's interesting, Jamie. I have friends that did Snapchat filters. I'm wondering if that's what you saw or... Nope, she says, oh, all right, I'm going to have to check that out. Jamie says she also has friends that did it. Uh, Snapchat filters vary in these days. Whether it be the, I'm sure, the dog, right? And the flowers and the, and the I don't know, what the, whatever they do to the face. I assume that's just makeup. I, I don't know what the filter is, but yeah. All right, so I think uh, they pretty much did the exact same ones. Snapchat filters, good, good choice. Number three on Jamie's list, the, list, excuse me, the double stuffed Oreo. Ah, okay. So here we go. This is what Jamie tells me. This was done by a man, a husband and wife with their pregnant child. Well, I guess it's not. She is pregnant. So with their, uh, what they did is they, they had their, the, the Oreo on the back, right? And then they all dressed in white. And that was the double stuffed Oreo. That's very cute. That's very, very cute. Number two on Jamie's list, stick figure family. I'm not familiar with that one. You're going to have to show me a picture, but. Sounds pretty cool, if done correctly. And number one on Jamie's list was Miss Frizzle. I believe that is from the Magic School Bus, Miss Frizzle. Uh, also, was that only Simchas? Ah, so I did see that. Oh, yeah, that was very good. So it's funny, because one of mine is also only Simchas related. Um, so again, Jamie's top four perm costumes that she either saw on social media or in person. Number four, Snapchat filters. Number three, double stuffed Oreo. Number two, stick figure family. And number one, Miss Frizzle. Now, my four to the door top four Favorite Purim costumes of 5777-2017, number four, Harambe. Now, I know it's it's probably a year old by now, so Harambe was kind of in last year, I think, yes. But a few of my friends did Harambe, so they were the exact same thing. The, 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 it was, it was, they were both husband and wife. They were both the exact same thing, a gorilla in a gorilla costume, which I give them credit for because it was freezing that night, so they're probably freezing... Um, walking to school because i can't imagine you're wearing a coat or maybe you're i don't know if you're warm walking to school maybe you're just comfortable walking to school and then you get inside the room and you're probably so hot you have to be schwitzing under there i'm sure no matter how cold it is the room's probably room temperature whatever it is so you're probably schwitzing so just in 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 that sense i give them so much credit but uh both their wives dress up well one of them one of them it's funny one of them had the gun one wife one one couple and then the other one had the baby 
So together it would have been a perfect costume. It was still a great costume. I love that shtick. I love the Harambe shtick in general, so they make it to number four. Number three on my list, the Coca-Cola. Excuse me. Jeez, can I talk? That's what happens when you talk so much on air. You're just you're just ready to go. You're ready to to end it. My voice is whew, Coca-Cola girl, number three. That was only an only Simchas. Was it only Simchas or was it just all over Facebook? I don't remember. I don't remember. Huh. But how cool was that? What basically her pony her is that what you call it, Jamie? Ponytail, right? Was in a uh Coca Cola contraption of a bottle. So she put the bulk of her hair in that and then out coming out of the out of the front of the bottle, out of the top of the bottle, was the rest of her hair, and it just looked like Coke flowing through. Excellent. Creativity, A+. Plus. Execution, A+. Plus. Amazing. Number two on my list, another couple. One of them dressed up as Orange Juice. The other one dressed up as Homer Simpson. What do you get when you add o- Orange Juice and Homer Simpson? You get O.J. Simpson. So at my school event, they won number one in the perm costume contest, and they win number two. On my costume contest list here. And number one on my Ford of the Door Top 4 Perm costumes from 2017. 5777. Someone dressed up as my favorite character. Or one of my favorite characters in the TV show Modern Family. Someone dressed up as Cam. They had a nice light blue shorts. A colorful shirt that was really Cam-esque. Where the collar and the cuffs were different colors as the shirt itself he did a great job that may or may not have been me by the way i will not let you know if that was me but whoever dressed up as cam did an excellent job so again my four to one on my top four to the door top four perm costumes number four harambe and shooter number three coca-cola girl number two oj simpson and number one cam so that'll do it for four to the door this week next week we're getting closer to pesach so it might just be time to get Pesach theme, but we may we may wait another week. So uh, you'll have to wait for that. But I'd like to thank all of you for spending the last two hours with me here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And if you've been listening 24-7 for the last 168 hours, that means you've spent the last nine hours with me here on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's time to plug the JM and the AM and Nachum Siegel Network social media handles, tags, on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network. On Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net and on Instagram Nachum Siegel Network. If you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, Google Play Store, Apple Store, you know by now how to do it. Nachum Siegel Network. Type it in and you can get all of our content while on the run. Coming up in just about a minute or so, the live lunch with Avrami Finkelstein. And I thank Avrami for all of his help yesterday while I was on Jam and AM. So a personal shout out there and make sure you stay tuning in for that but as we wrap up every show after four of the door it's my time to remind you one certain thing folks and that is that my name is joni pollock and i have to remind you that the bite size is the right size <laughs>